The Bible reading today is going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, and then from verses 57 to 66. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realised that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And now we're picking it up again at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, 
And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, it's Christmas Eve, the day before we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, but it's also a Sunday, that the day of the, that every week we assemble together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And I find it a bit interesting um, that non-Christians celebrate Christmas more than they do Easter. And maybe our secular society is being a bit more honest with itself that, that it now wants to call Christmas the holiday season because that's what most folk are actually celebrating, the chance to have a few days off work and get together with friends and family. So they call it, talk about happy holiday rather than Merry Christmas or have a blessed Christmas. And I think I might have mentioned this uh, last year, but I actually don't have too much of a problem with people using the word holiday to describe Christmas because the word holiday means holy day. That's where the word holiday comes from. Um, and so, in fact, every person, as they say, happy holiday, it is actually them pro proclaiming without them even knowing it, that Christmas is a holy day. And it's a holy day because we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But things are very different for disciples of Jesus. We, we don't have to be tricked into proclaiming that it's a holy day because for us, Christmas truly is a holy day for us. As we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, it is a happy Christ Mass, a holy Christ Mass, a blessed Christ Mass. By the way, some folk might be a bit allergic to using the word Mass because that's the Roman, what the Roman Catholics called church, but the word Mass simply means to gather together. It means to assemble together, which is entirely consistent with the original Greek word that, that we translate into church. Ecclesia means church. It means gathering. It means assembly. It means mass. That They're all synonyms, different words to describe the same thing, the gathering of the disciples of Jesus Christ together in worship. So that's what the Christ mass is. We gather together to worship the coming of Christ. Although I do find it a little bit bizarre that, that this year, because Christmas Day is the day after Sunday, the number of, church who have sort of churches who have sort of decided, well, it's a big job meeting together two days in a row. Um, 
So maybe we just won't have church on Christmas Day this year. We'll just have a Christmas Eve service. And so I find it quite bizarre that, that most churches I know are not massing, are not assembling, are not gathering, um, and are actually having more of a holiday than a Christ Mass. Um, I just find that a bit sad. But today, we gather together in worship on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Now, when it comes to Christmas, things, of course, are very different for Christians. And what we're going to highlight today is, is what the Bible reading brings out. It, it brings out the purpose for Jesus' coming. So on this Christmas Eve, we've just read about a baby whom God sent, and this baby was filled with the Holy Spirit before Jesus was even born. And that baby we know by the name John the Baptist. Now, I looked up what the name John means. Um, it must be very important um, because the reading today makes a really big deal that this little baby had to be named John. By the way, what, what does John the Baptist, Winnie the Pooh, and Jack the Ripper all have in common? Anyone? Their middle name, the. You, you can feel free to share that at, as everybody's popping their, their bonbons tomorrow and reading corny jokes. You can go, well, I know this joke. Yeah. Anyway, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that he was to name his son John. But then when this miracle baby was born and he was eight days old, they, they took him to, to the circumcision ceremony and the officials were about to name him Zechariah Jr. And his mum says, no. He shall be called John. And they argued with her. Who does that? Who argues with them? Does that happen, Alicia, in the hospitals when, when, when the mother gives birth and they're filling out all the paperwork and, and she says, his name's going to be this. Does the midwife then go, no, you can't call your child that? They feel like it, but they don't. <laughs> yes, who does that? Who? Well, because these guys said, look, there's no John in your family heritage. Why would you call him that? And so they turned to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, of course, had been struck dumb. He didn't, he didn't believe what the angel had said. And so from that time on, he wasn't able to speak a word. So they sort of mimed to him. I don't know, why is that? When, when a person can't speak, they then start miming it out. He can hear all right. Anyway, so he asked for a writing tablet and he writes down, his name will be John. And they were perplexed. They're still perplexed. Mother's told them John. Father's told them John. And they're still perplexed. But at that point, at the naming of the child, immediately Zachariah, who had been struck dumb, was able to talk again, and he was praising God. Right? It makes a really big deal that this child had to be named John. What does it mean? Now, it's strange that I had to look this up because my middle name isn't the. My middle name is John. You'd think I'd know what my middle name meant, but I didn't. So I looked it up, and, and in the he Hebrew, John is Yohanan, which means Yahweh has been gracious. And the name of John the Baptist means Yahweh has been gracious. And, and it's not just merely a recognition of the grace of God in providing this elderly, childless couple with their long-awaited child, what it was, it, the, the message of John the Baptist is about that very thing. Yahweh has been gracious. 
There was going to be something very important about this baby. The angel said, he will be great before the Lord. And he wasn't to drink any alcohol, right? It was like there's to be some kind of special holiness, a special consecration, which is above the call of the ordinary person. And, and the angel said, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, we need to remember that this is before Whit Sunday. This is before Pentecost, when God poured his Holy Spirit upon the church and upon all believers. Right? This is the period where the Holy Spirit, like in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit would only be given to particular people for a particular purpose for a particular time. And in the Old Testament scriptures, when the Holy Spirit would come upon a person, usually, not always, but usually, it would be to empower them for a prophetic role. And that's what it was with John. Even when, when little baby John was still in his mum's uterus, he recognised Jesus in the uterus of Mary. And as soon as Elizabeth heard the, the voice of Mary, the baby in, in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. So John, right from before he was born, he is filled with the Holy Spirit to be a prophet of God. And the angel told Zechariah even more than that. He told him what type of prophet that he was going to be. He would go before God in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what does that mean? Elijah was one of the famous prophets, but what does it mean for, for John to come in that, in the spirit and power of Elijah? Well, I thought about this a fair bit and thought, what is it about this? And there's a few things that line up. Elijah, often the word that Elijah would speak would be to the top down, right? So he would speak to kings and, and speak to priests and rulers. And he would tell them to repent. And they hated him because of it. Nobody likes, no king likes a prophet coming and telling them that they have to repent. And so Elijah feared for his life because of it. And we see this reflected in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would, would speak to the religious leaders and say, who told you to flee from the coming wrath, you brood of vipers, he'd say. And, um, and he stood his ground against King Herod. So King Herod was shacked up with his sister-in-law and, and he, he told King Herod, that's immoral, you can't do that before God. And so King Herod had John the Baptist thrown into the dungeon. And eventually, at the whim of his adulterous partner and, and their little daughter, um, her little daughter, she had John executed and his head presented on a platter. And so, yeah, in that way, John definitely did take after Elijah, calling kings to repentance and suffering because of it. He's also like Elijah in that it seemed like the whole nation had turned against God but there was still a remnant and some repented. And that, that happened in the time of Elijah. He thought, he said to God, there's, I'm the only prophet left. There, there's no one left. And God said, no, no, I've got a remnant. And we saw many being baptized as, as John preached. But the most significant point here that, that um, John came in the spirit and power of Elijah is this phrase points us to another Old Testament prophet 
He was the very last of the prophets in the Old Testament, Malachi. Now, the book of Malachi, very short. There's only four chapters, and some of those chapters are really short. And the final three verses of the Old Testament, coming from Malachi chapter 4, says this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So that's the final few verses of the Old Testament. And some of those verses are identical to the words that, that the angel spoke to Zechariah about John. It, it leaves us in no doubt, the Lord is coming. But John the Baptist, in the vein of Elijah, would proclaim repentance to prepare God's people before the coming of God on the day of judgment. All right, so the name of John means Yahweh has been gracious. The role of John was to be God's prophet, which means that the message of John was God's word to the people of Israel. And the specific message of John would be a message of preparation. Get right with God before he comes on the day of judgment. Now, the thing is, John the Baptist came to Israel. Now, Israel were already God's covenant people. But their religion had become so perverted and so corrupt that when the Son of God appeared, it was their perverted and corrupt religion that had him killed off. Right, does that give you a bit of a heads up as to just how corrupted the worship of God had become? It was so corrupt that when God came into their presence, they couldn't stand him. And he made them feel so uncomfortable. And so they did away with him. The angel Gabriel had said to Zechariah, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. They're supposed to already be with, toward God. He was, they were already his covenant people. But they were so corrupt and so vile that he would turn them back to God. And that's, that's what repentance is. Repentance is a turning. It's a turning from what we believe, but it's also a turning in what we do. And this is what John preached. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John never watered down that message of repentance. It always had a very practical aspect to it. Stop doing evil and start doing good. Stop looking out for yourself and start being generous towards others. Stop loving yourself and start loving others. Stop being unjust and corrupt and seek justice. Verse 17 says that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And that's what the gospel does. The fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ is reconciliation 
we who were at loggerheads with one another can be brought together and reconciled. In repentance and in Christ Jesus, there's reconciliation between us and God. And there's reconciliation for families. Families who have been busted apart in bitterness and unforgiveness and prideful, unyielding and ongoing blame. Stuff that can sometimes go on intergenerationally from one generation to the next. In repentance and in faith in the Lord Jesus, these families can be reconciled and bonded together in the love of God. I believe this. I believe this because God's word says it, that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And there's reconciliation for the sinner. He would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. True repentance and true saving faith is all about the reconciling of, of, a, of a sinner to a holy God. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God, God doesn't only just take away our sins. He doesn't just cancel our sins. By his Holy Spirit, he transforms us. We who were disobedient, he transforms us to become a people who delight in him and in his law, uh, to be a people who delight in justice and, and who delight in righteousness. That's what the work of God does inside of us. And how can we not start doing that when, when God himself lives in us? If you ever doubt the power of the gospel to change a life, then, then you need to meet somebody who has been genuinely transformed from a life of vile, corrupt evil to, a, to the righteousness of God. But why? What was the purpose of John to make ready for the Lord a people prepared and once again that phrase points us back to Malachi only this time chapter 3 where he said behold I send my messenger who do you think the messenger is I think it might be John the Baptist and he will prepare the way before me who's the me now, we tend to think the way before Jesus, but in the context of this prophecy, it's actually talking about God. He will prepare the way before God. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant. Who's the messenger of the covenant? I mean, at one point, the messenger was John the Baptist, but I think now we're talking about Jesus. The messenger of the covenant, Jesus, in whom you delight... Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Right? It, this is where it's really easy to get mixed up in the prophecy. And John himself got mixed up. You see, at one point, and we've talked about this a few months ago, at one point, John said a couple of his disciples to Jesus with a question. Are you the one who was to come, who is to come, or should we be looking for somebody else? And why would he ask a question like that? I think it's because John was expecting to see Jesus come in judgment. 
Because that's what the prophecies had been about the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come, come to the temple, and who could stand on that day? And he was seeing Jesus doing things like healing the sick and helping the blind to see and helping the deaf to hear. And he is speaking about the grace of God. Are you the one who's come or should we be looking for another? I think he was looking forward to the time when Jesus returns in his second coming. When God will come to his temple. And who will be able to stand on that day? At Jesus' first coming, when he came to the temple, we caught a tiny little glimpse of the fury of God when Jesus himself made a whip out of cords and he drove out the dishonest traders out of the temple. But that's just a tiny little glimpse. But the religious leaders, they weren't bowled over by that. They thought they got their own back in short order when Jesus was crucified. But boy, oh boy, when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back, he won't be coming as meek and mild. He'll be coming as the king in judgment. And who will be able to stand on that day? Who will be able to endure when Jesus returns? And so the message of John is to make ready for the Lord a people prepared People prepared for what? For the day when God comes in judgment. So that was the message of John, but it's also the message of Jesus. John preached a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What did Jesus preach? A message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What did the apostles preach? A message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What do you think we should be preaching? A message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, of course. Make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I do know a little bit about preparing. I do know a little bit about making ready. Um, you know the, the, the saying, the difference between a good farmer and a bad farmer is an inch of rain? You ever heard that saying? It's, it's sort of true. Um, you know, a, a bit of extra rain can make up for a multitude of poor farming practices. But I can tell you something that is definitely true. The difference between a consistently good farmer and a consistently bad farmer is preparedness and lack of preparedness. One farmer kills the weeds when they're young and well before they go to seed. The bad farmer, he wonders why he's got no moisture in the soil and, and why he's got so many weeds coming up all the time. And the reason is because he didn't kill his weeds before they went to seed last time. And there's another farming saying, one year's weeding, another, one year's weeds, seven years seed. Those seeds will just keep sprouting for the next seven years. And he's got no moisture in the soil because he let them grow too big and suck too much moisture out before he killed the, killed the plant, the weeds. A good farmer will have his seed bed prepared, ready for the planting rain. And his planter is going to be ready to go at the right time. The ill-prepared farmer gets his planting rain and goes, I guess I better get the planter ready. And he goes into the shed and he realises he's still got to pull the bits from last year. And, oh, I've still got to buy spare parts and get things going and da-da-da-da-da. And then he realises that this, 
soil tilth isn't quite right for planting, so he's either going to have to cultivate it again and wait for the next rain, or he's going to have to plant it rough and then whinges that the germination's no good. Preparedness or lack of preparedness is the difference between success and failure. Now, most of you know that I used to be an instructor at the Dolby Agricultural College. Now, the Ag College, it, it was supposed to be a showpiece. It was supposed to be tidy and schmicko all the time. Embarrassingly, it was not. Um, most of the time, it wasn't. And we were pulled in too many different directions to have the perfect farm. And so when it should be really doing something out on the farm, all the staff get pulled in for a training event or for some safety seminar or something. But, but there was one day a year where that farm was absolutely perfect. Now, I've been trying to remember if it was August or September, but, but one, one day every year, there would be the Dolby Agricultural College Open Day, where all of the prospective students and their parents would come to have a tour through the farm and, and, and walk through the sheds and see the training areas and, and what we did. And in the weeks leading up to that, the message would come from on high, Open Day is on such and such a date, the place has to be spick and span by then, your jobs are at risk there, right? This is the directive from on high. And so the chippos would be chipping and my hands would be calloused. The slashes would be slashing the waterways. The boom sprays would have dealt with all of the weeds in the crops and the fallows would have been sprayed or cultivated and the lawn mowers would go round the clock, they, they, well, not round the clock, but every day, manicuring the facilities, mowing the overalls and getting things nice around the dorms and every piece of machinery would be washed and in some years, if we had time, the tractors would even get a polish. Who laughed then? It was that you, Ting. Yes, I didn't, I didn't think that was time well spent either. But one day, every year, that farm truly was a showpiece. The message was, get ready, be prepared, open day is coming, nothing else is more important than that. Well, I want you to hear, this ain't no open day, folks. This is much, much more important than an open day. Be a people prepared. The Lord, our God, is coming. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns on the day of judgment, will you be ready? John means Yahweh has been gracious. And the ultimate expression of the graciousness of God was him sending his one and only son to be born as the most fragile of creatures and in the most humble of circumstances to then grow up, to suffer and die, to make us ready for his coming. This is how God makes us ready. Jesus was crucified for you and for me. How can we make ready for the Lord? We can be a people prepared. Repentance and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's where it begins. We cannot be saved. You can't get yourself saved by ticking enough good boxes. Oh, good thing, bad thing. Good thing, bad thing. 
you can't get yourself saved by ticking enough good things because if there's anything on the bad side of the ledger, you've failed. The only way to be saved, the only way to be prepared, the only way to be ready is by submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ and crying out for the mercy of God. And I reckon the message of John also reminds us that we are a covenant people of God. John was sent to the people of the old covenant. They were people who were supposed to be God's people, but they'd run amok. The old covenant depended on the whole sacrificial system for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, you've done certain things wrong. Whoa, well, go and sacrifice a bull. Oh, you've done certain things wrong. Sacrifice a pigeon, etc., etc. You might notice that our church doesn't really run like a slaughterhouse. I don't think the school would appreciate that. The only way for us to be saved today is through Jesus. So the new covenant, there was only one sacrifice, and that's the blood of Jesus. And that is by which we are saved. And one of the benefits of the new covenant is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the godliness that flows out from that. In Malachi, God's pet hate was the way that those who were supposed to be his people, and especially those who were supposed to be really close to God, like the priests and the kings and whatnot, the way that they were vile. God hated it. They were godless, evil, faithless, despised, abased, dishonest, impure. That's the picture of those who are supposed to be close to God. My friends, we have been saved by that precious blood of Jesus. And he loves us so much, he wants us to be transformed. He wants us to be a people who ooze godliness and righteousness. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us that we might live for him in all godliness and goodness and righteousness. And that is what it means to be a people prepared, saved by grace, saved by faith in the Lord Jesus, and to live by faith in the power of God and for the glory of God. Be ready for the coming of Jesus. When Jesus came the first time, those, those who were supposed to be in covenant relationship with him were not ready. When Jesus returns, will we be ready? As we continue working our way through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to hear stories of where people started out, but then when Jesus returned, they weren't ready. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? And I'd invite you to pray with me now. But it's not, prayer isn't merely a matter of words. And repentance, this repentance that we've been talking about, this is a change of a whole life. It's not just a matter of words. And so I'm urging you, only pray these words if you mean it. And I'm actually going to put the prayer up on the screen. And if the Holy Spirit has got a hold of you today.
pray these words and mean it. Because this is the day of turning. This could be the day of preparing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We are so undeserving. I have been evil. I have done evil. I've thought evil. I've spoken evil. I've planned evil and I've even admired evil. God, forgive me. Lord, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I've made a right mess of it. Up until now, I've been putting myself as number one, but now I yield to you. Have mercy on me. And I thank you that the name John says it all. Yahweh has been gracious. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that Jesus came, that he is born in the most humbling of circumstances. And I thank you that in his great love, he gave himself unto death on the cross. Lord, forgive me. And I thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for a miracle. I pray that you would recreate me, that you would change me, that you would transform me from a person of wickedness and darkness and make me into a person of righteousness and light. Make me a person prepared for the coming of my King, for the glory of God. Amen.